Hello, 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 everybody, and happy Friday, January 20th. We are one day away from the start of the NFL Divisional Round, and we are one day away until the Giants play the Philadelphia Eagles in what I expect to be a very, very close game. We'll get into more of Giants-Eagles matchup. I will break down every single NFL Divisional Round matchup, Jaguars-Chiefs, Cowboys-Niners, Bills-Bengals, and like I said before, Giants-Eagles. We got some Jets news to talk about, and of course, we're ended off with the Devils, Islanders, and the Rangers. We got a great show for you. Well, I got a great show for you today. I don't know why I just said we. I hope you guys all had a great week. I hope you guys all had a great Friday, and I hope you are very excited for the weekend, just like myself. So, without further ado, I'm going to start with the negative, and then I'm going to go to some positive. The negative, we have to talk about the New York Jets. So, the Jets this season... For the majority of the season, right, we all know this up until like week 14, 13. I don't remember the exact week that they started going downhill. You know, they lost to the Patriots, then they had the bye week, then they played the Patriots again and lost. So whatever week that was, before that, the Jets were having a great season, right? They were winning. They looked to be in, in a position for the playoffs. There wasn't a lot of animosity, and it seemed to be that that title of same old Jets, that narrative of same old Jets, look at this team, it's not going to make the playoffs, look at this team, only has one championship. It seemed to be, for the first 70% of the season, that that narrative of same old Jets was going to go away. And then we all know what happened. They lost to the Patriots by week, lose to them again, and only won one game in their final seven. And that one game was against the Chicago Bears when Justin Fields did not play. So basically, they did not beat anybody good. And it comes out after the season. Mike LaFleur gets released. I talked about that last show or the one before that. And that narrative of same old Jets comes up again. And it's that narrative that the Jets can never get rid of. It's that stigma that the Jets, no matter what they do, no matter how good part of their season is, no matter how good their draft picks become, Garrett Wilson and Sauce Gardner, they're still going to have that title of the same old Jets. Why this year? Because they were in a playoff position and they fell off a cliff. Well, an article came out written by Zach Rosenblatt in The Athletic. If you guys haven't, if you haven't read it, go give it a read. If you don't have The Athletic, then I'm about to tell you about it. It basically came out of all the behind the scenes that happened, I guess, in the New York Jets facility during the season. Now, we knew it was bad. We knew Mike LaFleur and Zach Wilson. That wasn't a good chemistry. We could see with our own eyes that Mike LaFleur's offense was having more success with Mike White and with Joe Flacco. But when Zach Wilson was the quarterback, the offense had zero success. So we knew that. But now in this article by Zach Rosenblatt, we got a little bit more of the behind the scenes. And honestly, I wish this article just never came out because what Zach Rosenblatt discovered really, it's really the epitome of what the the stigma and what that narrative of same old Jets means. There was a few, I guess you could say, alarming things in this article, and they're still alarming even with the departure of Mike LaFleur. The biggest one, and this just, I know it happens in other facilities and maybe it doesn't get out, but I feel like this should never, ever happen. And it might, I don't know if it does happen in in other NFL teams, but this really should never happen. Elijah Moore 
We knew earlier in the season that he was de he demanded a trade, and we knew he didn't get a lot of production, and we knew that he probably didn't have a good chemistry with Zach Wilson, or he didn't have a good chemistry with Mike LaFleur. Apparently, in a week of practice, I think it was after the Broncos game, if I remember correctly. If I'm wrong, I apologize. The Broncos game, Elijah Moore did not have a lot of catches. He was very angry and pissed off about, you know, not even his performance, but his lack of getting the ball to enable him to have a good performance. So that week during practice after the Broncos game, him and Mike LaFleur got into it in a private room in the facility. And he told Mike LaFleur to, I'm not going to say it, but he said, go F yourself and that you suck. Again, that should never happen. And that's, yeah, the player, Elijah Moore, that's not good. You shouldn't do that. I understand competitiveness sometimes gets the best of people. You should never say that to a coach, I feel like. But also, that's on Robert Sala for allowing the situation to get that bad. If you're Robert Sala and you're the head coach, you should never allow a player to scream those words at one of your coaches. So later in the day, Robert Sala sent home Elijah Moore, and basically he cooled down. Elijah Moore demanded a trade. Nothing really came out after that. It was actually good stuff that came out after that. Apparently, Elijah Moore and Mike LaFleur hugged it out. They were okay, and Elijah Moore ended up having more production down the line of the season. But again, Robert Sala, a leader of men as the head coach, cannot allow that to happen. That's point number one. Point number two, apparently, according to Zach Rosenblatt in this article, Zach Wilson and Mike LaFleur, I guess more Mike LaFleur to Zach Wilson, Mike LaFleur never had or never was on the same page with Zach Wilson. That is as bad as it gets, and you can blame that on Wilson, and you can blame that on LaFleur, but I'm blaming more on LaFleur because if you're an offensive coordinator – even if you don't like the guy, even if you think that he's in the wrong, like, hey, my system's good. He can't, he's not good in it. He's got to be better. Even if that's what you think, if you're Mike LaFleur as the offensive coordinator, you cannot just be angry at him. You have to teach him and you have to coach him and develop him. That never happened throughout the season. So I blame that on Mike LaFleur a little bit more than Zach Wilson. I understand Zach Wilson might not have the best work ethic. I, I don't know him, so I don't really want to say these things, but he might not have the work ethic that maybe Mike LaFleur wanted him to have. He might not have, you know, the brain that Mike LaFleur wanted him to have. There, in this article, it said Mike LaFleur had conversations with Zach Wilson, and he said, if your read one isn't open, look to read two. If your read two isn't open, run the ball. And Zach Wilson never did that. Again, that's on the coach and that's on the player because maybe the coach should put Zach Wilson in more of those situations during practice. I don't know if that happened or not, but it's both parties that are in the wrong here. And unfortunately for both parties, it doesn't look like they're going to be part of the Jets organization for much longer. Mike LaFleur already is gone. They... The Jets parted ways with him, and although Zach Wilson might be on the team next year, he will not be the starting quarterback in week number one. So it's just an absolute catastrophe. It's the same old Jets. Even when something looks to be going in the right direction, there is always something like a nuclear bomb that hits the facility, and, and just something always goes wrong. And then the last thing that was in this article is that Woody Johnson, now mind you, a little background information here. When Joe Douglas and Robert Sala were both hired, 
It was by Christopher Johnson. Woody Johnson owns the Jets, but during the Trump administration, he was in the United Kingdom working for the U.S. in the United Kingdom. I'm not sure his his exact title, but Christopher Johnson was running the team. The Trump administration is no longer here. It's the Biden administration, obviously. Woody Johnson came back to America and now has all the power on the Jets. So we don't know what Woody Johnson thinks about Robert Sala and Joe Douglas. He did not hire them. But I can tell you in this article, Woody Johnson was pressuring Robert Sala to make a move and to fix this team. So with that, Robert Sala parted ways with Mike LaFleur. I don't know what to think about this because Woody Johnson's last hire was Adam Gase. We all know how that went. So if Woody Johnson wants to have a lot of say in the next offensive coordinator, that could be worrisome. I have no idea what's going on inside the facility. All I'm saying is that this article by Zach Rosenblum, Rosenblatt in The Athletic was very concerning. And it was basically what all Jets fans were thinking. We were like, yeah, something's going on in there. We all know, you know, either the, the coach doesn't like Zach Wilson, the, the team's fighting, it, the, Robert Sala doesn't have a good hold on this team. You know, he's, he's not that leader of men that we wanted him to be. We all knew there was something going on in there and that the coaches and players weren't on the same page. And now this really, you know, gives us the evidence that we need to know. Elijah Moore fighting with Mike LaFleur, Mike LaFleur not being on the same page with Wilson and Woody Johnson wanting to win and Woody Johnson hearing it from the fans that, hey, you have not been to the playoffs in 12 years it needs to get changed and there was internal pressure on robert sala to make a move that's gonna end it for the negative news it's the jets i mean how much more do you want me to say it is the jets but i will say this when the jets win a super bowl and i hope i'm still alive when it happens when the jets win a super bowl i will never ever say anything bad about them again because all i want is one super bowl I can take this past 20 years of, I guess, laughing stock in the league. I can take this past 20 years of barely making the playoffs if the Jets can win a Super Bowl. I don't care what it is. I just want one. And when that happens, hopefully nobody will be talking about what happened in the year 2022 when they fell off a cliff or what happened in the year 2019 or what happened in every year that they didn't make the playoffs. I just want to win a Super Bowl. But we are not there yet. We live in the present day. And the New York Jets are still the same old Jets. They still have problems. And I think they have really big problems. Because I said this on Com Radio, Penn State Com Radio. I have a show there uh, every Thursday morning, 1010 to 1040 with one of, my good guy, one of my good friends, Ben Taylor. I said this, if the Jets have a bad start to next season, like they're 0-6 or like 1-5, Robert Sala is out the door. Joe Douglas can be on the hot seat. This is the year, this next year, the Jets talent, the Jets roster has too much talent and there is too much pressure on them not to be good next year. I don't ever want to read an article like this again next year, but unfortunately, that is just the current status of the Jets. I just hope things can get better. They need to get Derek Carr. And I guess this brings me, so I said before I was going to go to more positive stance not there quite yet. I'm still on the negative stance. John Harbaugh, this is not official or anything. John Harbaugh said that there is a 200% chance that Lamar Jackson stays with the Ravens. The reason I said it's not official is because they haven't re-signed him yet. So basically nothing that John Harbaugh says will mean anything until something actually happens. 
But it is a strong statement. 200% confident that Lamar Jackson will stay a Baltimore Raven. I don't know what to think about that. I kind of want to believe him because 200%, that's a large percent. But again, coaches and GMs say things all the time. If that is the case and Lamar Jackson is not available via a trade, you guys know who I want. I want Derek Carr. I actually want Derek Carr above Lamar Jackson. But if the Jets do get Lamar Jackson, I will not be upset. Last piece of Jets news, and this is the positive one, and then we're getting to the big Giants game on Saturday night against the Philadelphia Eagles. Joe Namath said that Aaron Rodgers can wear a number 12 if he comes to the Jets. I would love to see Aaron Rodgers on the Jets. I know not a lot of people like Aaron Rodgers, and I understand that, but I still think he is a very, very good quarterback, and you will be lying to yourself. You would be lying to yourself if you didn't think the Jets could make the playoffs and potentially win a Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. I would take Tom Brady. I would take Aaron Rodgers in a heartbeat. So Aaron Rodgers, if you want to come to the Jets, you can wear number 12. Joe Namath said it. That's all I got on the Jets. Maybe there's going to be big news coming up soon. I hope not, but you never know with the Jets. All right, let's get into the Giants. The Giants season is still alive. They beat the Vikings. I talked about that a few days ago, and now they're feeling loose. They were dancing at their practice, blasting music. Dayball was smiling. The Giants have a ton of momentum right now, and they're going into Philadelphia, into that hostile environment to play the rested and now quote-unquote healthy Philadelphia Eagles. Let me start off with the quote-unquote. Jalen Hurts, good to go. Lane Johnson, good to go. But how do we know that they are 100%? We don't. We'll have to wait and see if they are in the game. But as of now, they're good to go. And for Eagles fans, that is a very good sign. And for Giants fans, although you expected it, that will make the matchup with the Eagles a lot more difficult. I still think that if the Giants put some good hits on Jalen Hurts, that that shoulder will start bothering him. And I think if Kayvon Thibodeau has a monster game, uses his speed around the edge, that it's going to be tough for Lane Johnson to block. Now, here's for my keys of the game, and it starts in the trenches. The Eagles have the better offensive line, and they have the better defensive line. There's no doubt about that. But the keys to this game is for the Giants' defensive line to somehow get some pressure on Jalen Hurts. Because again, you put some good hits on him, I think his shoulder can be affected. And if you stop the running game, which is extremely difficult to do, but if you could stop the running game, you give yourself a great chance to win. Flip side of the ball, Eagles' defensive line is one of the best units in all football. I think the 49ers defensive line is slightly better, but the Eagles defensive line is probably number two. If the Giants can hold them up, again, very, very difficult task, but if the Giants can hold up on the offensive line and give Daniel Jones just a few seconds, give Daniel Jones a little bit of time, based on what I saw last week, I know Vikings defense is not good, but based on what I've been seeing this past month from the Giants, you give Daniel Jones time, the Giants offense can be very successful. Not just with Saquon Barkley, but with guys like Richie James, Isaiah Hodgins, 
and, of course, Saquon Barkley and those other guys on that offense that have all been playing very good in this last month. So the biggest key to this game, maybe not win in the trenches, but just be good enough to affect the game in the slightest way. Because if the Eagles dominate in the trenches like they like they did in the first matchup of the year, then this game will be a blowout. I don't think this game is going to be a blowout, though, because it is an entirely different Giants team. It's a healthier Giants team, and it's a better Giants team, and it's a different Eagles team with those injuries that I mentioned before. The second key to the game, I know I said the line of scrimmage. you got to try to win the trenches. It's going to be extremely difficult. The second key to the game is for the offense to be extremely involved. It cannot be a one-man show with Saquon Barkley. Daniel Jones has to use his legs again. 78 rushing yards against Minnesota. If he can get around 50 against Philadelphia, it's going to help the Giants big time. Get Isaiah Hodgins involved. Get Saquon involved. Get Richie James involved. Everybody on that offense has to be a coherent unit. Everybody on that offense has to have a great game. And then for the defense, I loved what I saw in the secondary for the Giants defense. Against Justin Jefferson, the Giants secondary and their corners shut him down. If you can be physical and shut down A.J. Brown, the Giants could win this game. I know that's a lot of ifs, but those are my keys to the game. you got to try to win the trenches. Give Daniel Jones time and try to hit Jalen Hurts and then get everyone involved. Those are my biggest two. I know they sound kind of, you know, like, oh, yeah, of course you got to do that, but it's really what it all comes down to in the playoffs, especially. It's about coaching. It's about defense, line of scrimmage. It's those details. And based on what I saw against Minnesota and based on what I've been seeing this last month from the Giants, they look to be finding up those details, tuning up, I meant to say. And Brian Dayball, I got supreme confidence in him to not make a bad coaching mistake. He hasn't done it yet. He didn't do it against Minnesota. I have a lot of confidence in Dayball to not make that crucial mistake, to not maybe throw that challenge flag when you don't need to, not call that timeout or, or not take the timeout when you need to. Eagles are seven and a half point favorites. I will say this, number one seeds and rested teams, which are number one seeds, the public loves a lot of people think they are slam dunk. Oh, number one seed. This team's been rested. They're at home. They're going to win. It doesn't always happen. And especially against a Giants team that just went into Minnesota, had to play a tough game there. And against a Giants team that has a little bit of history winning in that underdog role, I would not be shocked if the Giants can get an outright victory. The Eagles are an elite team, one of the best teams in football. But, but I am a little worried about how they're going to come out after basically not playing for the last two weeks, right? They didn't play last week, and they barely played anybody against the Giants. I'm a little worried about how they're going to come out. The Giants have the momentum right now. I think that's big, and I think the Giants' history of winning in the underdog role is something. Now, listen. It's, you know, history is history, but I think, you know, maybe it's something special in the air. I don't know. I don't know. My final pick on this game is the Giants to cover the seven and a half, but for the Eagles to win 21 to 17. I think this game is going to be extremely close, though. 
I think Eagles fans are going to be extremely nervous throughout this whole game. Look, the Giants can get blown out and I can be completely wrong. I, you know, anything could happen in sports. But I really love how the Giants are playing right now. I love their energy. And I think this Eagles team, not playing for two weeks, having those injuries. Again, I know both the guys are playing, but they're still banged up. I think it could be, a, you know, I think it could make an impact. My final score is Eagles to win 21-17. to 17. But if the Giants do hold their own or if they do win, that is a positive to go into next season. And even, you know, the Giants just being in the spot right now is an extremely successful season. But that does not mean that they are playing with house money. That does not mean that, oh, whatever happens tomorrow, I won't be upset. I won't be mad. If the Giants get blown out, you know, Giants fans should be mad. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to be a very close game. And at the end of the day, the Eagles are just the better team and they're at home. That's that's going to be the difference. That's what I feel like. Eagles 21, Giants 17. Let's go to the comments section here. If you are listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, thank you very much. If you are listening like my man Chase Breedlove here on Twitter or Twitch on the WeBet channels or on mine, again, thank you very much. Chase Breedlove said, Benny, I appreciate you, Chase. I appreciate you a lot. You know that. And he also said, that is poor leadership by Robert Sala. It is. It certainly is. And yeah, hopefully he can learn some lessons in this offseason and get better overall as a head coach going into next year. All right, let's get into the rest of the NFL divisional round games. The first game on Saturday, Jacksonville Jaguars going into Arrowhead to face the number one seed, Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs are nine-point favorites at the time of this recording. That line might go up as the game gets closer. I'm going to say this right off the bat. The Chiefs offense is extremely good, but they're actually worse at home. They're actually dramatically worse at home. Their point value differential, I believe that's what you call it, compared to road and home, they are a minus 7.7 value at home. Does it really matter? Probably not. They've only scored over 30 points in one home game this season. That's something. This Jaguars defense and this Jaguars team has been playing meaningful football games through the whole year. The Chiefs have not. The Chiefs basically have, you know, they've only played meaningful football games for like half the season and then they had the division locked up. Not the Jaguars. Jaguars, we all know, came back from a 27-point deficit. You look at that game. Trevor Lawrence threw four interceptions. What are the odds he does that again? Probably 1%. The Jaguars' defense gave up 30 points. But as I said before, a lot of those points were off of turnovers. If you look at that second half when the Jaguars did not turn the ball over, the Jaguars' defense only gave up three points to the to the Los Angeles Chargers. So the Jaguars' defense has been a very good unit, not only in the second half of last week's game, but overall down the stretch of the season in the final eight weeks, they've been a top 10 defense. Are they going to slow down Mahomes and Kelsey and all their other weapons? Probably not. But I think the way that this Jaguars team has been playing and the way that they're coached with Doug Peterson and the way that they came back last week, I like them to keep this game close. 
Remember, number one seeds, teams that are rested, teams that are at home, the public is all over them, and they usually don't fare well against the spread. This isn't a betting show, but it's just a few, few lessons here to increase your knowledge, and I'm giving out picks, so I might as well bring it up. Have we forgotten about the Chiefs' close games in the past? They almost lost to the Browns a few years ago. I understand Mahomes went down. They choked a big lead to the Bengals last year. I'm not saying the Jaguars are as good as the Bengals, but, you know, similar story, right? Bengals, nobody thought they were going to be in the playoffs. Nobody thought they were going to make the Super Bowl. That's what they did. Not a lot of people thought the Jaguars were going to make the playoffs. And maybe the Jaguars were going a little bit of a run here. I think this is too many points for a Chiefs team that I still don't trust their defense a Chiefs team whose offense is worse at home, and a Chiefs team that's facing a Jaguars team with a great head coach and a lot of momentum. I'm going to lay the points with the Jaguars, not lay the points. I'm going to take the points with the Jaguars plus nine. Chiefs are going to win the game, but the Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence, the coaching and the defense will allow them to keep it close. I'm going to say final score, Chiefs 28, Jaguars 21. Now into Sunday, and these games are incredible. The Sunday games, starting at 3 o'clock. This is the rematch of the Monday Night Football game that ended up getting postponed. The, end of the Monday Night Football game where DeMar Hamlin took that you know very tragic injury. Thankfully, DeMar Hamlin is doing good. And very great news here, DeMar Hamlin will be at in attendance for this Bills game, so that place is going to be emotional, and that place is going to be absolutely electric. Buffalo Bills hosting the Cincinnati Bengals. Bills, at the time of this recording, are five-and-a-half-point favorites. I have issues with both of these teams. Let's start off with the Bills. My issue with the Bills is three different things. Josh Allen's turnovers, or two different things, excuse me. Josh Allen's turnovers, fumbling, throwing picks, and the, the second thing is, this Bills defense, secondary especially, is just not that good. I mean, 31 points to Skylar Thompson and that Dolphins offense? Are you serious? This Bills defense, the secondary, the defensive line is strong. The defensive line can stop the run. The linebackers are strong. The secondary has been concerning. And Josh Allen's turnovers which sometimes can be the, the, the difference. Sorry, I stuttered. Turnovers can be the difference in the playoffs is concerning. But the Bengals have a much bigger issue on their hands, and that issue is their offensive line. Their offensive line wasn't good last year. They made improvements this year in the offseason, but now they got a lot of injuries, and the Bengals' offensive line right now is absolutely decimated. And to be flat-out honest, is horrible. That Bills defensive front is scary. Even without Von Miller, they can stop the run and they can get pressure on Burrow. I think Burrow is going to have a tough day on Sunday. It's an away game. I know in the NFL, you know, playing on the road is not a huge factor, not as much as it is in college. And of course, Joe Burrow has plenty of experience. He played on the road last year in the playoffs in Kansas City. But still, it's a road game in what's going to be a raucous environment. And he's probably not going to have more than three seconds to throw the ball. How do you expose the Bills secondary with deep, explosive plays? How are the Bengals, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase especially, going to have time to develop explosive plays? 
That's my biggest worry here for the Bengals. And I don't think they're going to be able to just put up a game plan to double team guys because their offensive line is decimated. Their offensive line is not good. It's a lot of points here, and this line has gone up. It was at three and a half, then four, four and a half, five. You get the point. Five and a half is a lot of points. But at the end of the day, even though Josh Allen turns the ball over, the guy has extreme talent, and the guy is a certified starter, certified elite playoff performer. And even though that secondary is worrisome, I think because of the Bengals' offensive line issues, it's not as worrisome as it could be against a team that has a good offensive line. I'm going to lay the points here with Buffalo. They're my pick to win the AFC. They're my pick to go and lose to the 49ers in the Super Bowl. I didn't like what I saw from Buffalo against Miami, but I also didn't really like what I saw um, Cincinnati against Baltimore. This is a tough pick. I understand everybody who's going to go with the Bengals thinking it's too many points. But I think the Bills cover here. I think they roll at home. It doesn't make sense that I'm picking Buffalo. They only won by three against the Dolphins. Now they're playing the Bengals. But I think the Bills are going to win by a touchdown. They're going to win 27 to 21. They're going to win by six points. One second. My girlfriend is calling me. Let me answer. Hey, Baba, I'm doing the show. What's up? Hello? Okay, I didn't. Let me just text her real quick. Sorry about the inconvenience here. Should be all good. Let's get into the final divisional round matchup on Sunday. And I think this is the best matchup. I think it's a very interesting matchup, though. Cowboys going into San Francisco to face the Brock Purdy-led San Francisco 49ers. As you guys should know by now, the 49ers are my pick to win the Super Bowl. They're the scariest team. They're the most complete team. And they are the best team. 49ers currently four-point favorites. The 49ers defense is the best in the league. It's been the best in the league all season long. The Cowboys beat the Bucs. And what's funny to me is the public perception about the Cowboys just after one game. They have a horrible Week 18 against the Commanders. Everybody is down on them, including myself. They go and beat Tom Brady, a Bucs team that was really never good. I'm going to be honest here. That was a bad pick by me. I thought the Bucs were going to win. But the Bucs were never really that good all season. And now I see people, a lot of people saying, the Cowboys are going to beat the Niners. The Cowboys are good. Everything's fixed. Everything's It's one game. I have been saying for months, the San Francisco 49ers are the best team in the NFL. And just because the Cowboys had one game against, let's be honest, not a very good team, a team that couldn't run the ball, just because they had one good game does not mean they're going to be able to go into San Francisco and beat the Niners. I'm sorry, Cowboys fans. I know my man Potato Gobbler is hopefully watching or listening. The Cowboys are going to get destroyed. The San Francisco 49ers have been taking names for a long time now. They haven't lost a game in months. And you could say whatever you want about Brock Purdy. He hasn't played this. He hasn't done this. He hasn't... Every time you say something bad about Brock Purdy, he delivers. Whether it's his first NFL game, 
whether it's his first road game, whether it's his first playoff game. I'm not worried about Brock Purdy because this 49ers offense is going to continue to roll and this 49ers defense is going to continue to stifle their opponents. And I know Dak Prescott had a good game, but it's going to be a whole lot harder against the 49ers. 49ers at home, give me the points. They are going to show once again why they are the team to beat, not only in the NFC, but in the whole NFL. Okay, so that wraps up my NFL divisional round preview. Quick synopsis. I like the Giants to cover and keep their game close. I like the Jaguars to cover, not really keep it, you know, I think they're going to cover. I think they're going to lose by a touchdown, but I don't think they're ever going to like be like, oh my God, they might win this game. The Chiefs will probably have control of the whole game, but the Jaguars will just keep it close if you know what I'm saying. I'm laying the points with the Bills and I'm laying the points with the Niners. Quick recap on the NHL in New York and New Jersey. The Devils just completed their five-game West Coast road trip, going 4-0-1, getting 9 out of 10 possible points with wins against the Hurricanes, Ducks, Kings, Sharks, and a loss in overtime to the Kraken. They're playing very well, goaltending, offense, defense, everything. Devils are playing very well, and they're in second place in the Metropolitan Division. Their next game is on Sunday against the Penguins. At me as a Devils fan, I like the Devils' chances. No, they don't play as well at home, but the Penguins have just not been that great, and the Devils are a whole lot better than the Penguins. I truly feel that at this current point in the season. Oh, no. I was saying, Rangers, they're kind of a weird team right now. They play really well, and then they lose to a bad team, which is the Canadians, and then they beat the Blue Jackets, and then you're like, oh, okay, okay, maybe this Rangers team, you know, it's good. Then they have a big test in a big game against the Boston Bruins. They get Chris Kreider back. They got Igor in net. They're facing a Bruins team that's playing the second leg of a back-to-back with Swayman in net. It doesn't matter. The Bruins are still the best team in the NHL. It doesn't matter what the situation is. And the Rangers just fall flat in their face. They lose 3-1. to one. They were down 1-0, 2-0, 3-0. And they got a garbage goal. So the Rangers, they're a tough team to read right now. I think they're going to make the playoffs. They don't have a lot to worry about. But, you know, they take a bad loss at home. Everybody loses to the Bruins. But it's like they go from like, all right, people are down on them. Now we're back high on them. Now we're back down on them. Kind of a weird last few games. But they're still a good overall team. Their next game is at home against the Florida Panthers. I like their chances in that one. Not a huge fan of the Panthers, even though they're playing better this last uh, these last few weeks. And then the New York Islanders. I said it last year and I'll say it again. The New York Islanders have failed expectations. They should be a lot better. They should be a lot stronger with their goaltending play with Sorokin. But they're just they're just not winning. They're not getting the production that they need from their from their team. And and I think you could point a big finger to Adam Pellick being on the injured list and some other big injuries that they have. They lose to the Bruins. The Bruins just, they just steamrolled the Islanders and the Rangers. So the Islanders lost to the Bruins earlier in the week. And then yesterday they lost to the Sabres in overtime. So things are not going well. And it really has been a down season for the Islanders. I said it last show and I'll say it again. If the Islanders, the Islanders still 
control their destiny. If they go on a winning streak, if they finish out their season strong, they can make the playoffs. If they keep losing and keep underperforming, they don't make the playoffs. They are right on the border of the last wild card spot, and it's up to them to play well or, or not to play well, right? Their next game is at home against the Hurricanes. Hurricanes got Freddie Anderson back, and they're back on their domination spree, I guess you could say. They're they're back to playing the Hurricanes hockey. So tough game for the Islanders. Overall, I'm happy to say this. The Devils are the best team in the New York, New Jersey area. Haven't said that in a long time, and it feels good to say that. So hopefully I could say that on the next show as well. That'll wrap it up for today. This was a long one, 36 minutes long. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. If you're watching live, thank you very much. If you are listening as a podcast form on Apple or Spotify, thank you very much. And if you're not already already following me, please go give me a follow on Twitter at Ben Wasserman 4 and on TikTok at Ben the Sports Guy. I appreciate you all. And me being a Jets fan, I am rooting very heavily in the Giants tomorrow, not only for my girlfriend's happiness and her family's happiness, but because I want to see the Giants do something. I want to see my fellow New Yorkers and New Jersey and maybe Connecticut people very, very happy. So everyone have a great night, have a great weekend, and I hope the next time I come back is to talk about the Giants' victory and to talk about the Devils winning We shall see. Good luck, have fun, and thank you.